Welcome to the first ever Braves Dugout Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Peebles. This podcast is about all things Braves, from lineups, position battles, potential trades, game recaps, and even controversial topics, such as if Dale Murphy really should be in the Hall of Fame or not. This podcast is for all types of Braves fans, from brand new Braves fans to fans who have been following the franchise since before it was in Atlanta. This podcast will be a weekly podcast and will drop on Thursdays. Alright, are you guys ready? Because I know I am. Let's get started. First, let's talk about what most of us are probably wondering. Who will win the third base battle between Johan Camargo and Austin Riley? Okay, I do have to say at the time of this recording, spring training has already been postponed, and the start of the season has been delayed. This has been awful for everyone involved, whether we're looking at it from um, the entire world and worrying about people's health, which is a big deal, and also it's affecting businesses and sports and everything. So prayers and thoughts go out to everyone involved that this uh, pandemic gets over as quick as possible. That being said, I just wanted to put a point in time in your head of what we're talking about this third base battle about. So we're probably wondering about the third base battle between Johan Camargo, Johan, sorry, I'm from the South, like most of us probably are, (laughs) and Austin Riley, okay? This is a great problem to have. Both of them have very good talent. I would say Austin Riley probably has a higher ceiling, but Johan has a um, better track record, okay? But there's many things to consider when it comes to who should be chosen. I'll give you some stats and, and some things, and you can help decide for yourself, and then I'll ultimately tell you who I think will win the job, okay? But first thing to consider is that Brian Snicker, the manager, already said that Whoever does not win the battle most likely will be sent back down to AAA because they both have options left. I agree with this statement, okay? Because Johan Camargo has already proven that his mental game affects his play on the field. And when he's upset or he's not getting at bats, he struggles. He did not do well in a bench roll. We were all excited that he would be some type of Ben Zobris-esque type super utility player for us last year, and it just simply didn't happen. Um, but the previous year, he did really well, okay? Um, but we need to consider the options, okay? The minor league options. And I have this chart here that uh, I would like to share with you. Shout out to John Hughes. Uh, he, he sent me this chart, and I think it's really good. Um, but 
This is how it works. You look at it and say, does a player have minor league options left? How many years of major league service time does the player have? If they have five or more years, the player cannot be assigned to a minor league team without his consent. The player has what's called veteran's consent. This means if you have five or more years, then you can't be sent back down to the minors without the player saying, yes, that's fine, I get it. If not, the player will get released or put on waivers depending on the time. Then you look at, does the player have less than five years of major league experience? Has the player been placed on the 40-man roster? If no, the player still has three option years left. That's the options we're talking about. Okay. Has the player been placed on the 40-man roster? Yes. Since the time the player has been placed on the team's 40-man roster and excluding rehabilitation assignments, has the player spent at least 20 days in the minors in three seasons? If the answer is yes, the player cannot be assigned to a minor league team without his consent. The player is out of option years. If the answer to that previous question is no, the player still has option years. If he has spent no time in the minor leagues, he has three option years remaining. If he has spent at least 20 days in the minors during one year, he has two option years remaining. If he has spent at least 20 days in the minors in each of the two years, he has one option year remaining. There's some caveats there, but that's kind of my, uh, minor league options in a nutshell. With that said, Johan Camargo came up in 2017. So he has less options remaining. With that, and that being said, if he will potentially lose trade value with less time to build it back up if he gets optioned down. Riley has more options. That means he has more time to figure it out. On the flip side, prospects in baseball have never been more valuable. Riley has graduated from the rank of prospect, but as early as last year, he was ranked number 38 on some prospect lists of the top 100. That's huge in today's game. The longer a player stays in the minors, the more chance that their prospect star fades and loses trade value. We do not want that to happen to Riley as a trade chip if the Braves choose to take that route, which they potentially could if they have two starting third basemen and they need help in the starting rotation. Okay, It's very possible. Um, I would say that it probably wouldn't happen to a trade deadline at this point, but it's something to consider. Next thing to, to consider between the two is their defense, defensive versatility. Although Camargo is not elite defensively at shortstop, he can play pretty much anywhere on the diamond, uh, including shortstop, which is a, what we would consider a premium position. Uh, for example, first base, not a premium position. Pretty much anyone at a pro level can play that position. I know some people can't or whatever, but as a general statement, first base is the easiest position in the league, where shortstop and center field are considered the most difficult. A catcher is its own animal, but I'm talking about besides catcher here. Well, this defense is going to play a factor. Defense, defense is finally getting the recognition it deserves in the league. In the past, if you had a good bat, it didn't matter how bad you were in the outfield. If you liked the outfield and the coach liked you, you were probably going to play the position you wanted to because he didn't want to make you angry and it might affect your bat. Nowadays, managers realize with these analytics how how important defense is. Alright, that's another thing to consider. The next thing to consider is 
let's talk about track record. Like I said earlier, uh, there's no sugarcoating it. Camargo had a really bad year last year. We talked about how, you know, that's probably his head game um, because he lost his position to uh, Donaldson. Uh, let me go on a rant here. A lot of people are hating on Donaldson. Let's just be happy for the time we did have with him. It was a pillow contract. He probably wasn't going to re-sign anyway. And let's be honest, baseball is a business. And if someone offered you an extra $15 million to go somewhere else, you'd probably take it too. But I like Donaldson. I hope he does well. Let's just hope we don't, the Braves don't have to play the Twins in the playoffs. But a lot of people seem to forget that in 2018, Camargo had a true all-star-like season. He wasn't on the all-star team, but he had the stats to back it up. He was fourth on the entire team. This is including pitchers of the relief, starting, all positions, including catcher. He was fourth on the entire team in wins above replacement. If you don't know what war is, uh, I'll explain it more later in another episode, but essentially it's a stat that is an overarching stat that shows how valuable a team, a player was to their team. But that's huge. I mean, he was the fourth best player on the team. On a National League East championship team, he was fourth. The next year, not so much because he was forced into a utility role that he's not good for. But fourth most valuable player on the team. I know, I know, I'm making it seem like I'm giving up on Riley. I assure you that I most certainly am not. If the man learns to hit a slider, he's going to be something special. But if he can't, he has options. He can go back to the minors and learn how to hit a slider. Let's look at spring training stats. Okay. Uh, as always, we need to take these with a grain of salt because it's such a small sample size, especially this year. But both are encouraging. Let's look at Johan. Okay. He had 27 plate appearances, one home run, eight hits, zero walks, five strikeouts, a 308 batting average. 333 on base percentage, 500 slugging percentage, which equals 833 OPS on base plus slugging. Okay, let's look at Riley. Riley had 29 plate appearances, two home runs, nine hits, two walks or base by balls, five strikeouts, 333 average, 379 OBP, 630 slugging percentage, and a 1,000 and nine on base plus slugging. Both are above average. If either one of these players were to keep this going for an entire season, that would be a huge win for the Braves. Uh, the, the key stat, if you want to look at these two, is um, OPS. It's obviously not the only stat, but if we're looking at just offense, um, a almost 200 point difference in OPS is huge. But again, small sample size. Riley obviously has the edge here. Both are very encouraging. I want to focus on a few things. Camargo has not drawn a walk, while Riley has two. Small sample size, but over an entire season, uh, if Riley gets more walks than Camargo, that's huge. Like we already stated, on base plus slugging, that's a big one. But both are doing amazing, which is an, a great problem to have. Here's my prediction, okay? I say Riley wins the job if no trades are made before now in the start of the season, which is highly likely that there will not be trades, though, because of the coronavirus, 
and all things considered, okay? However, I see the Braves trading him if a top-of-the-line starting pitcher becomes available and they default to Camargo. But I will caveat by, that by saying that a trade likely won't happen until the trade deadline. So not only will it not happen before the season starts, I think it won't happen until the trade deadline. So that being said, I believe that Camargo will win the job by default if Riley is traded. If Riley is not traded, I still think since the Braves are in a win-now mode, they're going to try to display Riley to boost his trade value so that they can trade him. And once they do, they default to Johan Camargo. All right, let's take our first break. Time for a segment that will hopefully be reoccurring. I'm going to call it People's Pitch. In this segment, I will be discussing a topic that will be considered debatable or controversial. These are a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy them, and please do not kill me. I want to reiterate that the whole point of this segment is to use stats from the outside looking in. I love the Braves. I devote hours and hours to research, watching and talking about them, but I'm going to do my best to keep emotion out of it and focus solely on stats and logic. I will try to keep it light this week so we can ease into this segment. I would rather not get hate mail on my first show. I covered this already in the Facebook group I helped moderate called Atlanta Braves Dugout. Check it out if you haven't already. So sorry to those of you listening that have already heard my case, but in this platform I can dig deeper into it and you can also hear the inflection of my voice which will help me, I don't know, put it across better to where you can maybe understand better than just reading a Facebook comment. Alright, you guys ready to get mad? Let's do this. Here's my subject for the day. Ronald Acuna is a better overall player than Freddie Freeman and brings more value to the team. When I say this, I mean currently. Obviously, Freddie has a really good track record, so I'm not disputing that. I know, I know Freddie Freeman is an elite first baseman. I love Freddie. In fact, I collect baseball cards as a side hobby, and I have a pretty decent collection of his cards, but his game is limited in a way that Acuna's is not. It is limited on defense and base running. There is no argument that Freddie has a better track record, like I said earlier, but I am talking about currently. But Sam, Freddie can beat out Acuna in almost every stat. Alright, I buy that. Let's look at the stats from last year. Last year, Freddie had, in 158 games, 597 at-bats. Now, we have to say that there's a difference between plate appearances and at-bats, but we'll just go with at-bats for now. 597, 113 runs, 176 hits, 34 doubles, 3 triples, 38 home runs, 121 RBI, Six stolen bases, but was caught three times. 87 baseball balls or walks, which is very impressive. 127 strikeouts. A batting average of 295. On base percentage at 389. A slugging percentage at 549, which equates to an on base plus sluggage or slugging, which is OPS at 938. Those are impressive stats to be sure. 
But uh, let's look at Acuna's. In 156 games, he had 626 at-bats. He had 127 runs, 175 hits, 22 doubles, 2 triples, 41 home runs, 101 RBIs as a leadoff, 37 stolen bases, which he uh, led the league in. He got caught 9 times, 76 walks, 188 strikeouts, a 280 batting average, a 365 on base percentage, a slugging percentage of 518, and his OPS was an 883. Those are great stats, too. Uh, but obviously, Freddie leads Acuna in almost every offensive category. That means he brings more value, right? Nope. That's not true. Freddie had a wins above replacement, which we'll cover uh, in more of a deep dive later. I'd like to devote more time to that segment because it's really important. But he had a just know that it's an overarching stat that shows the true value of a player. You know, not all stats say everything. But I believe, personally, that war is one of the best ways to see the true value of a player. Freddie had a war of 4.4, with Acuna leading by a full 1.4 war with a 5.5. And what's even kind of interesting is Acuna accumulated more war, and he even had two less games than Freddie did. For those of you that don't understand war, you're not alone. Um, like I said, I'll dig into it deeper, but uh, just know that by that measurement alone, you can see that Acuna is more valuable, but we'll dig into deeper of why, digging into the defense and the base running. Sure, Freddie is currently better overall at the plate. There's no argument for me, and there never will be, but Acuna is not too far behind. If you looked at his stats, I mean, there's a true argument that he is the second best offensive player on the team, even when with Donaldson on the team last year. Um, however, Acuna is league uh, is a is leagues above Freddie on defense and base running. Like it's not even close. Um, I know Freddie is a Gold Glove first baseman. Don't get me wrong, he is an elite first baseman. Um, he actually had a down year last year, but he still is top notch defensive first baseman. But Let's not dig too deep into gold gloves, because first of all, gold gloves are a joke. Until the first, last since 2013, uh, there was no defensive metrics put into golden gloves. It was all voted on by managers and players. And there was even a year where Rafael Palmero had something like 28 games that he played at first base, and the rest of them at DH. And because he didn't win MVP, they gave him golden glove as a consolation prize. There's... Multiple, multiple, multiple examples of that. That being said, for the most part, Freddie really is a good defensive first baseman. But the key word there is first base. Alright, I want to introduce you guys to something if you haven't heard of it already. It's called Sabermetrics. If you want to look up what it's all about, you can go online and literally Google S-A-B-R and your mind is going to be blown if you've never heard of this stuff before. I know a lot of people don't like analytics uh, when it comes to the sport of baseball, but the truth is the game is headed in that direction, so we need to go ahead and learn about this stuff because a lot of decisions are going to be driven by this stuff. I know a lot of the mathematicians involved have never picked up a bat, but 
it doesn't that doesn't mean that the math that they're coming up with is not going to affect the game. In fact, uh, it's helped teams that have lower payrolls do a lot better. It might even be one of the reasons why the Yankees haven't been doing so great because they've been leaning on spending money rather than using analytics. Either way, that's a topic for another day. But let's get into sabermetrics, specifically uh, saber defensive index. Okay, This is basically an index that takes two existing defensive metrics, one that's uh, taken from balls that are batted or batted ball location data, and it's also by play-by-play play accounts. Um, it looks at things like defensive runs saved, ultimate zone rating, um, and runs effectively defended, defensive aggression analysis. Okay, um, I would say if you can, go Google this stuff, and you'll be able to see a lot of it. Uh, I could spend hours on this, but I kind of just, rather than going too deep I just want to give you an overall on what SDI is so I can make my argument um, feel free to drop some comments on social media platforms or whatever and I'll have a conversation with you even more but uh, I kind of want to get this podcast done quick enough that you guys can finish it on your way to work you know what I'm saying all right but with all that in mind all those things combined creates what's called the SDI uh, sabermetrics defensive index and it gives you a score based on your, uh, what you did that year on defense. So if you look at Freddie's SDI, his is a actually a negative. It's negative 0.1. Okay, it took all those statistics, put them together, and came up with uh, an SDI of zero, negative 0.1. Ronald Acuna, who people were saying, you know, didn't do so hot in center field, um, just in center field, he actually had an SDI of a positive 3.4. So, just the fact that he played in center field alone puts him above Freddie Freeman, and we'll actually dig into more of that even more. But just know that based on sabermetrics, it's not even close. Um, just for what it's worth, uh, the player last year that had the highest SDI ranking was Roberto Perez from the Indians, and he was a catcher. Uh, catchers are actually considered the most defensive premium position, which is why you see a lot of catchers uh, that don't have the best bat, like Roberto Perez, for example, but he brings tremendous value to the team. Interestingly enough, I believe three of the Braves players, uh, pitchers were in the top uh, six or seven SDI rankings defensively. Braves had a tremendously good defensive year last year. Hopefully it carries over to this year since we won't have Josh Donaldson at the hot corner, but time will tell. Another thing to look at is, you know, we talked about war earlier. You can look at different things like total zone rating and defensive runs saved and everything like that. And it's great to look at because it really points out uh, things that the eye test will not catch. Um, for example, if a ball is hit to you every single time, right to you, of course, your fielding percentage is going to be way better than someone that plays shortstop that has has to make this huge range and dive for all these plays and and make throws that some people can't even get to. Um, but that being said, um, you can look at each position, and based on that position, it tells you. Uh, if you look at the WAR websites and stuff, it'll show you uh, position player WAR calculations. And it'll show you, based on the position they're playing, how much value in runs saved that brings. It's called 
positional adjustment runs. Okay, and if you go by position, catcher is plus nine, shortstop is plus seven, second base is plus three, center field is plus two and a half, third base is plus two, right field is negative seven, left field is negative seven, first base is negative nine point five. So, that being said, Freddie Freeman could be an otherworldly defensive first baseman, and Fred and Ronald Acuna could be league average, and he's already got him beat by, let's do some quick math here, 11 and a half runs saved, just by positional value of where they play. So Ronald Acuna, let's say Ronald Acuna moves to right field this year, um, that still puts him two and a half runs above. Um, but I would go ahead and say that they're probably going to play Ronald in center field uh, against pitchers that are strong against Ender Cintiarte. Ender Inciarte? Sorry, wow. But uh, So we're probably going to see some platoon-ish type stuff happening. Ronald will always be on the field when he's not resting versus uh, Ender will be play about half the games or he'll, he'll be playing against right-handed pitchers essentially but that being said we still need to talk about base running right obviously Ronald Acuna is good at base running he had 37 steals but that's not the only thing that's looked at in base running in fact you can dig into base running without even touching the stolen bases stat let's go back to sabermetrics to talk about base running if you want to find this stuff it's on the sabermetrics library website okay great information but we're going to talk about UBR or ultimate base running okay basically what uh, this does is it finds the value in base running in non-stolen base plays uh, basically calculates all the decisions that players make on the base, path base paths and that makes a calculation on how many runs are added to calculate UBR, you need to know the average run expectancy for a given batting event given the base out state and then the actual run expectancy change that occurred during the play. The best way to explain the calculation is to provide a simple example. Imagine there is a runner on second and a single is hit. The base runner can stay at second, advance to third, score, or be thrown out. Each of those plays occurs across the entire league with some frequency. You can then calculate all these frequencies and come up with what's called your UBR score. Alright, it's very advanced. Um, well, if you're a math nerd, it might not be that advanced. For But for the average person like us, you can actually go to this uh, website and get good examples of how to find it out. But for argument's sake, let's just look at the player's UBR scores and you can see a huge difference. First, Freddie Freeman is actually in the positive on this one, which... Um, he doesn't do it every single year. It goes back and forth. His worst year was a negative 2.9 when he was actually pretty young in 2011. So maybe he was just learning. But it's been pretty steady the past three years. Uh, three years ago, he had a 1.1. But this past year, he had a 0.7. Which for a first baseman isn't too bad. Because you don't exactly put your most athletic guy on first base. But still, it's not good from an overall player standpoint as far as bringing value to the team. If you look at Ronald Acuna's, though, he brings a 4.6. Um, this is, obviously, it's he's only been in the league for two and a half years, essentially. So he doesn't have the track record of Freddie. But again, 
4.6 is way higher than Freddy's even best year. Okay, it's not even really close. To put some context to it, uh, an ultimate base running score of 6 would be considered excellent, where 4 would be great, 1.5 would be above average, 0 would be average, below average is negative 1.5, poor is negative 4, and negative 6 is awful. So obviously, uh, I would say Freddie Freeman's right around an average league base runner, which is actually impressive for a first baseman, but it's nowhere near what Ronald Acuna brings to the table when it comes to base running. And again, that is not factoring in stolen bases. So you factor in the fact that Ronald Acuna led the league in stolen bases last year, and it blows Freddie out of the water when it comes to base running. Of course, base running is only one aspect of the game, but so is offense and so is defense. A lot of times as fans, we get stuck on just looking at offensive stats. And while offensive stats are really fun to look at, they're really fun to watch, you know, offense um, is probably why the balls are being doctored. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think the balls were doctored uh, to get more home runs. Or, I mean, it's a combination of things, uh, the new launch angle and all of that. But still, offensive stats are easy to look at. They're easy to understand. But that's only one aspect of a player's game. We always have to remember that there's defense involved and base running. Um, for example, you would never put Freddie Freeman in center field. The, he would bring negative value to the team at that point. There's a reason why he plays first base. There's a reason why Ronald Acuna plays in the outfield. Um, and there's a reason why there's these different scores on runs. Think about it, really. like, Yes, it takes tremendous skill to play first base in Major League Baseball. I couldn't do it. You probably couldn't do it unless you played, um, you know, collegiate or whatever, high or whatever you might have been able to do it. But I personally, I played baseball my entire life, and I could never play first base in the pros. But that it still does not take the type of athleticism as the outfield, not to mention how many times a game does a first baseman actually have to throw the ball? You know what I'm saying? Maybe he throws the ball back to the pitcher. Every once in a while he'll do a relay throw to home. Whereas an outfielder has to throw the ball every single time he gets it. Um, especially if there's runners on base. So uh, there's all the different things to look at at defense. But just realize that Ronald Acuna brings way more value to the team defensively and base running wise than Freddie Freeman does. So that being said, Freddie brings better offensive capabilities than Ronald Acuna. But overall value, you look at all the stats involved, you can encompass it just looking at the war really and you can see at 1.1 war difference in one year is pretty impressive it's it's percentage wise that's pretty big um there's some players in major league baseball that don't even acquire a one war in an entire season and that's when playing a full year you know what i'm saying so um it is close in a sense but in a sense it's not like ronald cunha brings more value and that's just the truth however I will say this it's awesome that as Braves fans we can even have this argument the fact that we have two elite players that we can argue that one is better than the other is a sign of good things to come now if we could only get some more starting pitching but I hope that I didn't lose too many listeners over that I still love you Freddie Freddie you're my man the Braves are in a good position 
if we can even have these debates because of these two players being elite, we're in a good spot. I'm looking forward to the season. Hopefully baseball will start soon. That's the show, guys and gals. The first episode, we did it. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or if you have any questions, definitely feel free to email the show at bravesdugout at gmail.com. At the time of this recording, I'm working on setting up a Twitter account. We may have a Instagram account at the time, but I do know that the Twitter handle is bravesdugoutpod, at bravesdugoutpod. Feel free to leave comments, negative, positive, whatever. Tell me what you want to hear in this show. I want to help you guys as fans. Let's learn about the Braves together. Let's watch the Braves together. Let's enjoy the Braves together. Everybody have a good day, and I'll see you on next Thursday.